Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll read momentarily beginning with verse 8 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Well, last week I began with uh, some trivia. So let's start today with a little bit of trivia as well, okay? Um, You probably know that the Old Testament is divided up different ways by different people. Uh, For instance, we in the Western world, we who are Christians in the Western world, we divide up the Old Testament into four sections the law, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy, history, which is Joshua through Esther, wisdom literature, which is Job through Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on the title you give that book, and prophets, which begins with Isaiah and goes all the way through Malachi. So in the Western world, Christians divide up the Old Testament in four sections. But the Old Testament was originally penned in Hebrew. And Jewish theologians divide up the Old Testament not into four sections, but into three sections. The law, the prophets, and the writings. All right? The law, the prophets, and the writings. So, with that in mind, here is the trivia question. Which of the following books, which of the following books is found in the prophets section of the Hebrew Old Testament. Again, Christians divided up in the Old Testament up into four sections, law, history, wisdom literature, prophets. Jewish theologians divided up into three sections, law, prophets, and writings. So in the Hebrew Old Testament, under the prophets section, which of the following books is included in the prophet section of the Hebrew Old Testament, all right? Y'all understand my question here? Hello? All right, so nobody's going to be embarrassed or anything, but I'd like to get your raise of hand vote, if you will. Last week, uh, we only had three people out of 200 people to vote. I'd like for more people to vote this time, if you would. It would really be uh, good. So, Uh, Which of the following books is found in the prophet section of the Old Testament? If you believe that Joshua is the book that's found in the prophet section, raise your hand. All right, we have two people who voted. If you believe Judges is the book that is included in the prophet section, would you raise your hand? No votes for Judges. If you believe that the books... Of First and Samuel, and in Hebrew it's one book, Samuel. But if you believe First, Second Samuel are in the prophet section of the Hebrew Old Testament, raise your hand. I see four. Did you vote twice, Miss Sarah? If you believe that uh, if you believe that First and Second Kings 
the book of Kings in Hebrew is the book that's in the uh, prophet section. Would you raise your hand? <clears throat> I see one, one vote back there. If you believe that all of these books are in the prophet section of the Old Testament, raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and Miss Sarah has voted for the third time. <clears throat> if you believe that none of the above are in the prophet section of the Old Testament in Hebrew, would you raise your hand? Three hundred and forty-three people voted for that one. <clears throat> uh, the answer is all of the above are in the prophet section of the Hebrew Old Testament. Isn't that strange? You go, you go to looking in. Yes, Miss Sarah, you got all of them right because you voted for all of them. It's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the. Uh, in the Hebrew Old Testament, there's the prophet section, and it includes the books that we typically uh, call prophets, Isaiah through Malachi, but it also includes uh, Joshua, Judges, uh, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And so that's interesting, isn't it? We would consider those historic, uh, history or historical, and they are. Uh, but, it, but the way Jewish theologians look at those, they don't look at them uh, uh, so much as history as here's what the prophets had to say. And so um, when you look at uh, the book of Kings, for instance, First and Second Kings, which are one book in Hebrew, uh, you do, you do call them kings, but they are under the heading of prophets. So Jewish, in the Jewish mindset, those books are not so much looked at according to kings so much as they're looked at according to uh, what the prophets said to the kings and how well the kings listened to what the prophets said. As you go through uh, Samuel and Kings, you'll note that all of these kings are evaluated not based on economy, not based on uh, whether or not they were at war, uh, not based upon uh, approval rating or popularity, but they were evaluated, every one of them, based upon whether or not they listened and adhered to what the prophets said. And so you have prophets like Samuel and Nathan and Elijah and Elisha as well as all the, the writing prophets that we see at the end of our uh, Old Testaments. Now, just by way of recap, let me remind you that, that 1 Samuel, which we dealt with Samuel last week, 1 Samuel deal, dealt with the uh, ministry of Samuel and the reign of Saul, Israel's first king. 2 Samuel deals and describes with the reign of David, Israel's second king. First Kings deals with the reign of Solomon, David's son, which is the first th 13 chapters, but then it deals with the splitting of the kingdom under Solomon's son, Rehoboam. So you have uh, two kingdoms inst instead of one in the middle part of First Kings, and then Second Kings deals with the final decades of the northern kingdom of Israel before it 
was invaded and carried away by Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah before it was invaded and taken away by uh, Babylon. So this morning, I want us to look at uh, not so much a, a, a story about one of the kings, but a story about one of the prophets and an unusual event that happened in this prophet's life. The prophet's name is Elijah. And we pick up with him in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This woman is in grave condition here. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Now, this was a a major statement here. They had not had rain in at least three years. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah, prophets, kings, and crises. There was a wine company, a winery in Australia several years ago, the Brown Brothers Winery. And I'd never heard of them, but evidently they're a very popular winery in Australia. They make Uh, hundreds of thousands of bottles of wine every year. And a few years ago, they had a sweepstakes where they advertised that five of their wine bottles would have solid gold corks. And if anyone uh, was lucky enough to uh, purchase a bottle that had one of those uh, golden corks, then you would turn it in and you would win a lifetime supply of wine. If you can imagine that. Now I realize they didn't have any Baptists go looking for those gold corks because, you know, Baptists and all, but uh, can you imagine that? Lifetime supply of wine. Have you ever, have you ever uh, won a lifetime supply of anything? Uh, I haven't. I, I think I'd like to sometime, although I, I don't know exactly. Or, or maybe instead of wine, you'd rather have ice cream. That would be more of a, 
more right up our alley, wouldn't it? Ice cream. Uh, a few years ago, Ben and Jerry's, the ice cream company, they were looking for a new CEO and they announced a contest. The contest was called Yo, I'm Your CEO. And they invited people to send in 100 word applications, an application that was more, no more than 100 words. The first prize in the contest was you'd win the CEO position of Ben and Jerry's. I'd find that kind of risky, but that's what they did. Plus, second prize would be a lifetime supply of ice cream. I think I'd rather have that than to be the CEO of Ben and Jerry's, lifetime supply of ice cream. Not bad for a consolation prize. Lifetime supply. The underwear company jockey. I realize that y'all are thinking this sermon has gone down the tubes very quickly. The underwear company jockey a few years ago had a sweepstakes where you could win a lifetime supply of free jockey underwear. BP, British Petroleum once had what they called a drive-for-life sweepstakes that included a lifetime supply of gas. I'd like to have that. Plus a new gas tank to put it in because the winner got a new Ford F-150 every five years for life. Now, boy, that would be a good... That would be a good lifetime supply. What would you want to win for life? Uh, I asked somebody that recently, and uh, you can tell this, I asked this question during the pandemic. There were some folks who said, I'd like to have a a lifetime supply of toilet paper. Uh, Somebody else said vitamins. Somebody else said Diet Coke. Somebody else said groceries. Uh, Some people say vacation rentals or One really smart person said, I'd like to have my mortgage payments paid for life. Whatever our answer to that question might be, it says a lot about what we treasure. It says a lot about what we place at the very center of our lives. It says a lot about where our security lives, which brings me to the widow of Zarephath. She was kind of a, a lifetime winner. Winner. Elijah promised her that her jar of meal would not empty, that her jug of oil would not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. But notice <clears throat> that however amazing this uh, this continuous flow of flour and this continuous flow of oil in her jug was, it came with some strings attached. Um, And these strings are important because when you're talking about a lifetime offer, a lifetime offer is only as good as the company or the person or persons behind the lifetime offer. You know, I see these publishers sweepstake things where they say you could win uh, $5,000 a week or a month for life or whatever it is. And I've always wondered, what if Publishers Weekly goes belly up? Or if, if, if Jockey Underwear offers you Jockey Underwear for life, and, but if, if 
the underwear company goes bankrupt and out of business? What happens to the lifetime? It all depends on the background, who, who, who is supplying the lifetime guarantee. But I want you to notice something about these strings attached. First of all, with, with regard to the, la- the widow from Zarephath, her lifetime offer or her, her offer of things not running out required a response. The widow had to act on the word of the Lord. And it was an unusual word. Elijah says, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to go home. I want you to uh, use your flour and your oil to bake some bread, but bring it to me first. On the surface, it seems kind of selfish, but God through Elijah was testing this woman to see if she would be willing to respond faithfully to what God was commanding her. Sometimes God commands us to do some weird things. Sometimes he asks us to be faithful in some unusual ways. But this woman's, for this woman to receive what God had promised, she had to first, she had to first give a response. The same is true for us. God may provide the flour, but we got to do the baking. A second string was that God's gifts may only last as long as the need is present. The Bible tells us in Paul's letter to the Philippians that our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's a promise that that, uh, God gave to the Philippian Christians. It is a promise that I believe God gives to those of us who are believers, but as, in, as was the case with this woman from Zarephath, uh, the, the, the need was supplied only as long as the need was present. God's gifts may only last that long for us. For her, it would last for as long as, as the rain held back. Once the rain returned, then the jug of oil would stop flowing and the flour would stop being abundant. But the third thing about this, uh, this offer from Elijah or God through Elijah was that it resulted in the widow never being the same again. I was talking with an evangelist recently and he was talking about uh, the sermons he preached, this particular evangelist, he, he had been a pastor for, for a little while, but he, <clears throat> it's hard for a, an evangelistic preacher, one who is called to evangelism, it's hard for, for an evangelist to be a pastor because they only want to preach salvation messages, which, which granted, those are the most, salvation is the most important message that anybody can preach, but in a church, People want to hear and they need to hear more than just a salvation message. They need to hear, they need to hear how to live the, how to practically live the Christian life. What happens once you get saved? Once you become a believer, what then? I think sometimes too many folks are more interested in their fire insurance 
but not as interested in what, how you live once you get your fire insurance. And yet, more of the Bible, Old and New Testament, deals with how we as people of faith in God, in Christ, live. There's more, more material devoted to how we live than how we get saved, although there is material on how we get saved. You see, once we come to know Christ, we must be changed. God offers us gifts and promises, but God offers to us promises and gifts that require a response on our, our part. He offers us promises and gifts that will last only for as long as the need is present. And there is the caveat that when God comes into our life, what he does for us must result in our lives being changed. So what do we make of all this? Let me just share with you three things. Because what this woman was going through was a crisis. Uh, because of the brevity, the shortness of this story, we kind of jump across it without really recognizing how serious her condition was. This woman had a son. She was going out to get sticks. That's where we found her. She was out in the woods gathering sticks. Sticks to build a fire, to take what little flour she had left and what little oil she had left to make some bread for a final meal for herself and her son. And then she was convinced that after that, they both were going to die. This woman was experiencing the crisis of her life. But what she found was that a crisis doesn't have to be the end of all things. It doesn't have to be that which, which mows us over. It doesn't have to be that which puts us six feet under. A crisis is actually an excellent time for spiritual evaluation and renewal. This is one of the hardest lessons that the Bible teaches, one of the hardest lessons that, that you and I can learn in our lives, that is that God will allow crises in our lives, but he doesn't do it because he's a vengeful God or a violent God or an uncaring God. He does it because that's too often what it takes to get us to become open to him. And so this woman had a crisis, and it was no coincidence that God sent Elijah her way. It just occurred to me, we're never told the woman's name. You may think that nobody knows your name, but God knows your name. And God will send your way at the perfect time what you need 
in your crisis. A crisis is an excellent time for spiritual evaluation and renewal. Second, a crisis is an excellent test for where our security really lies. This woman, at the point where Elijah found her, she felt that what little life she had left was founded upon this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil. And that would have been the case had it not been for two words. But God. How many times have you and I faced dark situations? Some of us are facing dark situations in these days. After all, this is the year for dark situations, it seems. And we would be overwhelmed even more than what we are, but God. But God comes on the scene. And, and God sends a crisis our way in order to test us. It's not that God needed to test us for God to find out, but God sent a test our way for us to find out not what we're made of, but what God is made of. It's a test for where our security really lies. You see, this widow's security did not rest upon whether or not she had a husband or whether or not she had food in her cupboard. Her security rested in God's watch care over her life and her trust in God's promises. A crisis is an excellent time for spiritual evaluation and renewal. A crisis is an excellent test for where our security really lies. And a crisis is an excellent opportunity for us to rely on God. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, once said, he said, I've held many things in my hands across my life, and I've lost them all. He said, only that which I placed in the hands of God, that I still possess. Someone else once said, what you can't give away, you don't possess. It possesses you. Ann Graham Lotz, Dr. Billy Graham's daughter, said this. She says, gold must not matter too much to God because he uses it for pavement in heaven. You see, Jesus provides for all of our needs according to his riches in glory. But you and I must be willing to respond we, you and I must be willing to do certain things and put them first in order to be in a position to receive what God gives. Prophets, kings, and crises. I've never seen a year like this year. Some of you, some of our folks are old enough to have seen a year as bad as this year. I haven't. I hope I never see another one this bad. 
But I know this. It's a time for God to really show out. If we let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being God. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for being the God who is our God when things are awesome and great. And we thank you for being our God when our life tumbles in. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, to keep you at the pinnacle of our lives and trust you to see us through the crises. For none of these crises have surprised you or shocked you or caught you by uh, accident. You knew about them an eternity ago. So, Lord, we can trust you. Help us to. Help me to. In Christ's name, amen.